0: Subject to eligibility requirements, rewards vary depending on market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
4: got there and everyone was just standing around him and he was like laying there basically lifeless on the floor his eyes were bright red and he was having a lot of trouble breathing
5: I was face down on the ground on the court and you know I couldn't move anything I knew something was seriously wrong I was pretty much instantly paralyzed from the shoulders down
4: I remember he went into the emergency room and about nine doctors, like, surrounded him, closed the curtain. All I heard was, he's going into respiratory failure. Sitting outside of that, I, like, thought, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to die. I started freaking out.
1: I'm Joe Piazza. This is Committed. Committed. Matt and Caitlin actually met in the place where I met about five of my boyfriends in high school, the Jersey Shore. It was Memorial Day weekend.
5: We first met on the beach and nothing really came of it at first, but then Kate started coming on to me because I'm the shy one. (laughs) And uh, so she had to kind of hit on me and we just, ever since that day, we haven't on a day without talking.
4: Anyway, we basically acted like we were dating from that moment on and talked every day. You know, he had asked to be exclusive and I kind of turned him down for a little because I thought that I wasn't interested in it, but he ended up winning me over.
1: Caitlin was won over by a lot of things about Matt. He might be shy, but he's crazy handsome. He's got these kind brown eyes. She was also won over by his persistence, his stubbornness. Matt wanted to date her, and he wasn't going to take no for an answer.
4: Not to be cheesy, but I don't think I've ever had anybody, I don't know, be that in love with me, interested in me. I always felt like I was always the one giving more in a relationship, and it just felt really nice to be appreciated and felt like he was super ready to dive in and and accept every little quirk I have, I
5: guess. I think what made me really want to date her was that I could just see that she was very caring on the inside, even though she was very kind of spunky and (laughs) I what's the word on the outside. (laughs) Well, yeah, (laughs) sometimes she could be a little nasty, but it would always come back to... You know, her loving self, which I grew to like very quickly.
4: He means I'm rough on the edges. Yes.
1: They dated for about four years. Caitlin moved up to Boston to be closer to Matt and to get to know his friends. They didn't move in together right away. They wanted to take it slow. After four years, Matt started seriously thinking about proposing.
5: You know, I started looking around for a ring and... We had talked about it kind of casually. Kate would send me, randomly just send me pictures of rigs. I actually had, you know, the ring all picked out, and I was going to pick it up. It was a Thursday, so it would have been June 9th. I was scheduled to go pick it up.
1: It's kind of a weird date to remember, right? Matt remembers it because he never made it to pick up the ring. June 7th was a Tuesday night. Matt went home to change before going to this twice-weekly basketball game that he played in.
5: I randomly called Kate on my way just to tell her that I loved her and also to ask her if she could just make some dinner. Because <laughs> I was usually the cook out of the two of us, so maybe I just had to butter her up a little bit to, to get her to agree to cook dinner. But, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I really, I don't know, it was just, a, I just, something came over and I was like, wow, you know, I just want to tell her that I love her random on the way of the game and she was like yeah sure and you know said something in the lines of can't you just not go to your game tonight we'll just hang out and and have dinner and I was like oh you know you know no I I I need to play blah 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 you know I'll be back in an hour
1: it was a totally normal basketball game Matt played mostly offense he was doing good
5: Caught the ball on the wing and I started uh, driving towards the basket and a defender stepped in from the side and kind of clipped my knee. And that caused me to trip and fall forward. And the gym we were playing in unfortunately didn't have any buffer zone behind the basket. There was just, you know, it was surrounded by walls. And where I was on the court, I just fell straight forward and ended up kind of falling face first into the bottom of the wall. I was face down on the ground on the court and, you know, I couldn't move anything. I knew something was seriously wrong. I was pretty much instantly paralyzed from the shoulders down. Caitlin
1: was home and in the middle of making dinner.
4: I get a call and it was all broken up. But as soon as I saw his name on my phone, I was like, that's weird. Like, why is he calling me? And immediately my stomach just sank. It was all broken up. And I'm like, I can't hear you. Can you go somewhere else? And here I am trying to calm myself down because I have no idea what's happening. Finally, after about the fourth or fifth call, I get on the phone with one of his teammates. He said, Hi, Kate, um, Matt got hurt and uh, you need to get here. And I said, What do you mean he got hurt? He said he, you know, was driving to the basket, tripped, and went headfirst into the wall. I said, is he conscious? He said, yeah, he's conscious. I said, oh, phew, thank God. And that was like, that felt like a weight off my shoulders for maybe five seconds until he was like, but it's really bad. You need to get here.
1: At that time, Matt and Caitlin were living in the south end of Boston. Matt's game was in Cambridge, and it usually took about 20 minutes to get in between the two. I
4: literally got in my car and made it to Cambridge, and I think maybe five minutes. I was running every red light, cutting people off. I got there, and everyone was just standing around him, and he was laying there basically lifeless on the floor. His eyes were bright red, and he was having a lot of trouble breathing. I started screaming, and Matt was just looking at me, and you could tell he was so scared. And I, I, don't, you know, I don't think we ever even talked about it, but I think he thought like he wasn't gonna make it. So he looked at me and he was like, call my family. Can you please call my family and tell them I love them? We got to the hospital and it, it legitimately felt like a movie where me, his mother, his sister, and a couple guys from his team were sitting in the lobby and waiting for a doctor to come out, you know, to tell us what was going on. I remember he went into the emergency room, and about nine doctors, like, surrounded him, closed the curtain. All I heard was, he's going into respiratory failure.
1: And I was like, oh, my God.
4: Sitting outside of that, I, like, thought, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to die. I started freaking out.
1: Matt had torn ligaments on his C3 and C4 vertebrae. The doctors wanted to do a surgery where they would fuse the two of them together.
4: They brought us into an office to have a family meeting. And they started off trying to paint a better picture of Matt. Oh, what does Matt like to do? I obviously was the one to answer and just say, oh, he loves to play sports. He loves fitness. He is a, well, he thinks he's a pretty good dancer. Um, And then they kind of said, they tried to explain the injury in layman's terms And they said, we can guarantee that he will breathe, eat, and talk on his own. Um, Everything else he's going to do with his mouth. I just got up and walked out. And I pretty much just collapsed on the floor. My mom caught me and I just sobbed. I didn't want to hear any more of it.
1: Matt, when did you find out? When did they tell you what was happening to you?
5: Honestly, I don't really remember like a specific time when a doctor came in and told me like, you have a spinal cord injury. It just kind of evolved. That whole first week was just kind of a blur. So I I don't really recall somebody coming in and giving me like a prognosis
4: They're not gonna come in and be like, oh, by the way, you're paralyzed from the shoulders. I mean, I knew knew I was, you know. Yeah. His 29th birthday is when they did the surgery. And I walked in and saw him just sitting there with his like lifeless limbs.
5: Kate was supposed to go to a bachelorette party in Miami (laughs) that weekend. And I think the first thing I said to her was, are you still going to Miami? (laughs)
4: And uh, well, he had a tracheostomy tube placed as well because he went into respiratory failure so he couldn't breathe on his own. So when he says he said it to me, he literally mouthed it to me. So the first time we could even talk to each other, he couldn't voice anything. He had no voice. He had no movement. There was no like body language he could show us. So it was literally like, We had to sit there and try and read his lips or have him whisper something. And like he said, he was heavily sedated, but fighting it so hard. He had a breathing tube down his throat. And I just remember my one vision of him is walking in and seeing him trying to get it out of his mouth, like chewing on it to try and move it. And I just remember feeling like, oh, my gosh. I've never even seen him with a cold, let alone, like, be that vulnerable. You know, it was just very, it was so real to the point where it didn't feel real.
1: (laughs) We're going to take a quick break here. Be right back.
0: The following is a high-five moment from HighFiveCasino.com. I won! No! Baseball fans,
1: During this entire process, the doctors were incredibly vague about what Matt would be able to do and what he wouldn't be able to do after the surgery. What Matt and Caitlin did know is that their lives were never going to be the same and that their future was going to be nothing like the future the two of them had imagined.
5: I don't remember exactly when or what Kate said, but she basically said that, you know, she wasn't going anywhere.
4: He said, I'm going to do this all for you. I'm not going to give up until I get our life back. And I said, as long as you don't give up, I'm not going to give up. And that was pretty much the extent of the conversation about our future together. It was never really a conversation we just knew. And we both made a promise to just keep at it no matter what. I never struggled with a thought of whether or not I wanted to do this. That was never even a thought in my head. Other people would bring it up to me, you know, like family, and, and say, you know, like, this is what your life is gonna be like. He, he, he can't scratch his own eyebrow. He can't go to the bathroom.
1: But none of that mattered.
4: He's the one person I don't get sick of. He's the one person I want to do things with. He's the one person I want to come home and tell things about. Other people's comments only drive my fuel. I mean, they only fuels me harder.
1: In the blink of an eye, Matt and Caitlin's active and independent life was suddenly completely different. They were going to have aides living with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week.
5: Yeah, so my day is pretty much, I have a PCA and aide come every morning. I get up around eight. Takes me about three hours to do everything, you know, bathroom, shower. I'll usually do my FES bike here, which is like an electronic stim bike. That moves my legs while stimulating the muscle. I'll eat lunch, um, and then I have somebody take me down to therapy, at journey forward, and I'm there, depending on the day, two to three hours. You know, I don't get home till 6.37 at night, and yeah, I mean, just that is fills my entire day. You
4: know, there's always a part of you that will obviously have to be a bit of a caregiver, but, and I don't want to...
5: We keep it separate. I
4: actually, you know, go out of my way and I don't want to sound mean or whatever, but I go out of my way to make sure that I don't, I do the least possible for him because I don't want to take on the role of like being his mother. I don't want ever for either of us to be a burden on one another. And it's not as though he's a burden on me. I try very much to keep that separate. So there's always someone in our house or in our apartment doing something for him. But it's kind of just become a part of the fixture here, I guess. It's, uh, you know, if I want to enjoy his company without feeling like I need to get up and move his heavy limbs or feed him or whatever, you know, I'm going to do it. You know, but on the weekend, the most I'll do is feed him in public, which in that respect feels I don't know, maybe a little bit romantic in itself because it's a little more intimate. You're close. It doesn't even really feel like I'm doing anything for him. That's the most I'll allow myself to do, and that, I think that's the most he would allow me to do too. Because I don't think he wants me to know that part. And, and that's, I mean, that has been like maybe our saving grace is having a little bit of uh, privacy. You know, privacy. You play the role very much of a caregiver, so it's hard to just switch that off and, you know, turn it into what you used to be, you know, like two young kids, very much in love, very attracted to each other. It's hard still now. And I've told him, you know, like it's hard now still to do it without feeling kind of depressed on it about it. It's because it's very much, you know, imagine trying to do something to someone and they can't, they literally just can't touch you or do anything to you. You, you. you know, I miss his touch so much. I miss his hands. I miss everything about the little things that you never ever thought you ever were taking for granted are things that you, you know, really do miss.
1: And of course, intimacy now is way different than what intimacy was before. It has an entirely new definition.
4: And now it's just a lot more emotional than physical. And that's okay. I mean, there's still a physical part of it. You know, it's small, it doesn't happen a lot, but I still get butterflies when I kiss him. It's a deeper level of intimacy because, I don't know, it just um, feels, it's something that you really remember more. You think back on more and say, oh, that, that was nice. You know, like getting to know that part of him. We can still, I mean, if we're going to get real with it, I don't know how real you want to get, but we can still have sex. Like, it happens. Well, yeah, I mean, it's literally like I have to do all the work. Um, And he doesn't have that drive. Well, he might mentally, but, you know, he's not waking up and, you know, rolling over and wanting to have sex or something. it's, It's more of a, it has to be planned because, number one, we're never alone. Uh, Number two, it takes a little effort to get that to work. (laughs) And it's not just get it to work physically, but also, like, the environment.
1: The one thing that Caitlin felt very responsible for was keeping Matt's spirits up.
4: As time went on, I knew that Matt was sort of depending on me, even though he wouldn't ever say it out loud for some sort of inspiration or, or motivation. Or at least I felt that way. You know, it felt like he needed that. Or maybe it felt like I needed it.
1: So Caitlin came up with this crazy plan to do something big together. Really big. She decided they would run the Boston Marathon as a team.
4: And he was like, no, you would never be able to do that. I said, all right, well, I kind of want to try.
1: It turns out there were only six spots for two-person teams in the official marathon. Those spots were already filled up. But over their years together, Caitlin inherited some of Matt's persistence. That same persistence that got her to date him in the first place.
4: We appealed and we appealed and it didn't matter. We,
1: we couldn't get in. So Caitlin decided, screw it. We're running the marathon. Or at least the marathon route. And they did. A week before the actual Boston Marathon.
4: We caused a lot of traffic because we were definitely doing it during a morning rush hour. We had help from the local police stations. There was one who escorted us the entire way, but then they radioed from each town that we crossed. A different town would take over and they would escort us. And it was pretty amazing. And as we got to the end, the finish line... You know, on Boylston Street, which you go on any day, and it's crazy busy. But somehow, I don't know how, they ended up shutting down the entire street for just when we went to cross the finish line, which was amazing.
5: In so front of like 100 cheering people. Yeah, and
1: yeah, it was really cool. Time for a break. When we get back, we'll find out what happened to that ring that Matt bought in 2016.
0: Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season.
1: Caitlin, did you know that Matt was going to propose before his accident? That he'd already picked out the ring, that he was about to go
5: pick it up? No, Uh, you didn't know. Yeah,
4: well, no, I didn't.
1: But after the accident, Matt didn't want to propose right away.
5: My goal was to be able to do it myself, you know, with my own arms.
1: And everything Matt did from that point on was with that one goal in mind. To be able to propose to Caitlin with his own arms. With an accident like this, the doctors don't like to give you a whole lot of hope. They don't want to get your expectations up because they don't want your expectations to be crushed all over again. So they told Matt that he probably wouldn't be able to do that much with his arms and legs. Matt was determined to beat any prognosis that they gave him. He started going to therapy four days a week.
5: And they really work you hard there, and that keeps my body in good shape. I have a lot of muscle tone and you know, cardiovascular wise, I'm, you know, I stay in shape that way. I can do some weird things that somebody with my level of injury shouldn't really be able to do. So, you know, like I can do squats somehow. I, I can get a push out of my legs when I'm in certain positions. So, you know, we've discovered a lot of activity in my body and um, it's just a matter of Harnessing that and, and using that to regain some function. And that's what we're working at every day in, in therapy.
4: I mean, he has to be one of the hardest working people at Journey Forward, which is where he goes. He is the most impaired, if not one of the most impaired people there. He can't scratch his eyebrow, feed himself, anything But, like, somehow, like he was saying, and he won't brag about it, but I always will, (laughs) you know, he can do, like, 50 push-ups. They'll put, like, a 60-pound weighted vest on him, and somehow he can do push-ups. Or he can push 70 pounds with his legs um, on a total gym. And it's amazing to see the connections that his brain is making with the rest of his body. But functionally, no, you know,
1: like, it hasn't contributed much to our everyday life. So Matt, you said you waited to propose. You waited two years. When did you finally do it?
5: Well, you know, like I said before, I wanted to be able to do it myself with my own arms. So that was really the only reason. I mean, also we had to kind of adjust to our new life and get, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot to handle and and deal with. So, I mean, that was really it. I wanted to see if I would be able to get my arm function back. I mean, I hated, you know, having to come up with a gimmicky way to do it without me actually handing her the ring. So that's the main reason. I basically had somebody put the ring in my sunglasses case which I always carry in my backpack, which is on my chair. So we go to the park before brunch and, you know, we're hanging out for a little bit, letting the Rudy the dog kind of splash around the fountain and whatnot. And luckily it was a hot sunny day. So I was like, oh, okay, you know, we should probably get going to brunch. Our reservation is at one. And I was like, hey, I, can you grab my sunglasses out of my backpack for me? And she was like, yeah, of course, sure. She opens the sunglasses case and immediately just kind of knew what it was. And I think your first thought was, oh, crap, am I supposed to be seeing this? Like, is this a mistake? Um, yes. So she didn't expect it at all, which was perfect. And, you know, she was kind of speechless. And I finally had to be like, OK, can you open this? Like, and then <laughs> and I just, you know, I said a few things and, and you know, that was that.
4: I thought maybe some, he was going to do it later and that somebody put it in the wrong place. But then I was thinking, oh wait, okay. Maybe this is how he meant to do it because he can't actually put it on my finger. So this is, and in the pictures, you can see that whole thought process going through my head. It took me a while to process and then all of a sudden I just broke out in tears. And he said, I've been wanting to do this now for two years. I used the same ring that I got two years ago because I thought it
1: would mean more. So, when's the wedding?
4: If it were up to me, I would elope. I've always said I would love to just get like married under a waterfall in Hawaii, just him and I. I think that would be the best because the stresses of having a wedding these days is kind of unreal. I know that I think my family would be upset if I didn't have one. I think people in general would expect us to have one because... People want a happy ending, I suppose. And, and, you know, that's fine for, you know, whoever. I've never cared about that. But if, if it means making my family who have been so supportive happy, then I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's, it doesn't mean that much to us. We already feel like we're married. He's the one person I don't get sick of. He's the one person I want to do things with. He's the one person I want to come home and tell things about.
1: Caitlin, were you ever scared that you weren't going to be able to handle This, all of this,
4: every day. I mean, I I still am. You know, it's there are times where I have to remind myself that he's paralyzed. Like even just opening a jar, stuff I used to just depend on him to do. To depend on somebody, you know, your whole relationship to feel safe because they know what's happening and they can fix everything. And then all of a sudden, that's just totally changed. We were so independent of each other, and now he's become dependent on me. So I'm scared that I can't make him enjoy life. You know, like that. that's the one thing I want is for him to be able to still say, or feel like I lived a fulfilling life. Even though I couldn't physically contribute to it.
1: How did the expectations for both of your life change? And obviously they changed so much. But what specifically changed? What kinds of things did you have to let go of? Everything.
5: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you kind of just have to take it day by day. I feel like that's kind of what I did when I was in the hospital and everything. I was a planner and I, I was very structured and everything, but for some reason I was also just, once it happened, able to take things day by day and I, and I wasn't, I was thinking about the future but I wasn't at the same time because that would just, you know, mentally be more taxing on me. Obviously we were planning to get married and still are, it's just a little different now, and we you know talked about having kids, and we still do talk about it. It just might be a little more difficult, so i I, I don't know, I guess my main point is that I just kind of somehow'm able to just roll with just roll with it and literally yep, <laughs> literally roll with it um and i i just I just try not to stress out I guess a lot about. The future Um, at this point, since we've adapted to life now, and you know, it's we're in a good routine now.
1: And you guys still want to have kids? Oh, yeah.
5: Yes. What does that look
1: like? What do the two of you have to do to make that happen?
5: Well, we haven't really dove deep into like the physical aspect, we haven't talked to doctors or anything about that yet. It depends. Um, You'd have to, we'd have to talk with doctors about it and. I know there's a bunch of options for people in our, you know, situation. So ideally, I'd like to be able to get some more function back before that happens because, you know, I would hate to not be able to take care of my own children physically. So we kind of have a lot going on right now. Um, we're not in the biggest rush, but we know that it in uh, the near West future.
4: China. Yeah, well, I mean, he's always said... I don't want to have a kid to I can help you take care of it. But I think when the the injury first happened, I wasn't accepting anything but a full recovery. But my expectations have shifted a little just based on kind of like realizing more about like what's important and what's not. And I guess in my head, I, the thing that I've always said, I'd be happy if he just got his arms back because then at least he could have some sort of independence some, something that nobody else could give him but himself, you know, like he could do that for himself. And I think having kids is very much a huge part of that. To produce something of your own with somebody that you love and to watch them grow up.
1: Have your feelings for each other changed since the accident?
5: In a way, I want to say they're the same as before because, you know, I, I knew how much I loved her. I just think this whole experience has made me realize it more and express it more just because of, I guess, my personality. And I've become, I think, you know, more generous, more outgoing, more willing to try things. Unfortunately, it took something like this to happen for me to realize that about life and realize what I had in Kate. And it's just, I mean, through this whole thing, the fact that she's just stayed with me from the beginning since it happened is amazing in itself. I knew how much I loved her before, and this this whole experience has just kind of brought that you know more to the forefront and we've you know I think we've learned even more about each other um, than we knew previously.
4: I Well, I'm going to interject just because I do hate when people say that. That's the first time I've ever heard you say that, too. It's just I hate when people will say, oh, my God, he's so lucky for having you. He's so lucky you stayed around, like as if he's less deserving of love because he's in a wheelchair. But I just hate that. You know, it's it's like saying... He's not worth it because he can't physically do anything for you. I hate that. I mean, well, I, I'm I fell in love that. with I mean, him I for the course. person that he is and yeah. he will be, not because of what he could do for me. I feel like I'm lucky to have him.
5: Well, so, I still feel lucky to have yeah.
4: you. I love this person now probably even more than I ever would have had it never happened.
2: This episode was hosted and reported by Joe Piazza. A special thanks to Caitlin Keeley and Matt Weatherby. It was produced and edited by Ramsey Yount and Tyler Klang with mixing by Tristan McNeil. The executive producers are Joe Piazza, Mangesh Attikitter, and Will Pearson. Theme song and music by Tristan McNeil. For comments, suggestions, or to be part of the show, give us a call at 404-996-1173. That's 404 996 1173 Nine nine six one one seven three. 1173. Grab a copy of Joe's new book, Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Committed with Joe Piazza has been a production of the How Stuff Works family produced in our studios located in Atlanta, Georgia.